and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, a show that brings readers and writers together. I'm your host, Marva Hinton. Today I'm talking to Celeste Mohammed about her novel and stories, Pleasant View, which came out last spring. It's won several awards, including the Caribbean Readers Award for Fiction in 2022. Celeste is from Trinidad and Tobago and still lives there with her family. I sat down with her virtually back in November before she appeared on a panel at the Miami Book Fair. Celeste, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Read More to talk about your work. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Pleasant View is a fictional town in Trinidad where various cultures mix and corrupt businessmen and sometimes women rule over the townspeople. Women and girls from families at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder are often at the mercy of these powerful men, and these women's sons are at risk of becoming pawns in the games the powerful men play. So congratulations on this collection. Uh, I just wanted to start out by asking you, what drew you to writing? I understand before you became a writer, you were an attorney. Yes, I feel like I always had an interest in in writing. And not that I feel like I know, I always had an interest in writing. I, I tell people the joke about writing my first book when I was around six or seven years old and illustrating it. It was like a mystery story. <laughs> um so I, I always had this interest in writing, but um, it was never viewed, typically in Trinidad at the time I was growing up, it was never viewed, writing was never viewed as a serious career. You know, you had to pursue a serious career. And so I did, I, I, I went into law, in a way, kind of hoping it would be a more lucrative form of writing. And yes, there is a lot of writing in, in law, but certainly not creative writing. Although I tried to make it creative, but no, it's it's really different. Well, do you feel like coming from a legal background shades your writing in any way or affects your practice? Yes, I, I do. Um, I didn't realize it until, you know, looking looking in retrospect at my work, Um being a lawyer for 10 years and then, you know, it, it, it's like a five-year period of study and then 10 years that I actually practiced as a lawyer actively. Um, that's 15 years of my life. And of course, that's a big chunk of time. It, it taught me how I think to distill complex subject matter down to the basic. I feel like it also gave me insight into the motivations of people because you know people's ostensible motivations versus their real ones um, because as a lawyer people have to or they should tell you the truth so um, in order for you to help them so it helped in those ways like it gave me insight into human nature it, it helped my thought my my way of distilling and analyzing things but it was also a little bit um, it's been a little bit difficult for me to come out of sometimes the mindset of a of a, a writer, uh, sorry, a lawyer, because like, I remember in the early days when I was doing my MFA program, my, my teacher said to me, Celeste, I sense so much feeling around your work, but it's so locked in. And your language is so, um, what she, what, what was the word she had? So formal. If you could just get out, if you could just break out of that, your work would soar. 
And I was offended at the time when she said that to me. But in time, I realized that she was right, that I had come from a, a, a background of very formal, very archaic, very um, a use of English that wasn't about letting the reader in, but more locking the reader out. You know, so right. to break so. out of that, break out of that and to learn to write in a way that was more emotive and more inclusive, uh, that has been one of the challenges of, of transitioning from law. Well, let's jump into talking about Pleasant View now. Uh, the name is very deceiving. Uh, <laughs> you know, Pleasant View is not very pleasant, uh, <laughs> especially for a lot of the women and girls who live there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read that your goal is to dispel myths about the islands and the people who live there. How do you see yourself doing that with Pleasant View? Uh, that really was the, the, the point because in my whole life, my travels uh, to North America and so mostly, I, I, I always encountered people who would say, oh, I detect an accent. And I would say I'm from Trinidad. And the, so most of the time they wouldn't know where Trinidad is. They'd be like Jamaica, right? And when, when I say, okay, I'm the Caribbean, people's perceptions tend to be that the Caribbean is, first of all, one big monolith. Um, two, that there's one accent for everybody in the Caribbean. <laughs> Three, that we don't really have any problems here. We just have live a happy-go-lucky life. We nothing, you know, nothing of consequence happens here. And in some ways I found that insulting. It was almost as if you're not supposed to have an opinion on certain things because you you just live on the beach and I, I wanted to give the other side of the Caribbean life the life that we live because where you vacation is where I live and where I live there's some serious challenges that we as a people need to deal with we have to live and navigate this space every day we wake up to a certain type of news every day that is not pleasant and um, yes, we are complicit in, in always or often putting forward a front because we want you to come and spend your U.S. dollars. And so, <laughs> but I, I want to take you off the resort. I want you, I wanted to just take you to a normal town. In my mind, I had a town just down the road from the, from the airport. And I want to just show you how, how like the bulk of, of Trinidad society lives i wouldn't say everybody but certain a large a large majority and just show you what the normal um some of the normal challenges are in reading i was really struck by the diversity of your characters i mean there are chinese people living in the community along with syrians there are muslims living amongst catholics hindus and pentecostal christians and you see the chinese and the syrians are at a higher economic status than the black and brown people who are there. Mm -hmm. Is this multiculturalism another way to shatter myths about the Caribbean? Well, it is not, it's, it's the truth. I think the way you shatter a myth is with the truth and anybody who is Trinidadian who has been to Trinidad will tell you, we are a very multicultural uh, place. We, we call ourselves a rainbow country. Um, and exactly what you described there, all of the races kind of mingling, co-mingling in this melting pot, but there being a certain amount of stratification with certain races typically being at a higher socioeconomic status. 
that is exactly the, the truth. And I, I, I kind of set it up because I wanted Pleasant View to be a microcosmic view of the of the country as a whole. And so you've put your finger on it. It's like these are archetypes, you know, and, and it's meant to be a snapshot of contemporary Trinidad right now. Another thing that really stood out to me is that it's very hard to find a good man in Pleasant View. Uh, you know, most of the women in these stories, they go through so much. I mean, they endure all kinds of abuse. They're beaten and raped, forced into prostitution, disrespected at every turn. Uh, there's a woman who's physically attacked by her father and kicked out when he suspects she's a lesbian. Why did you want to highlight these threats to women's safety? Well, I often invite readers to go find our newspapers online, the Express, the Guardian or the Newsday and have a read at what I have to read every day, right? And I can tell you that recent, it, it has always been the case that intimate partner violence is a problem in Trinidad. It has always been. And I mean, there are reports, there are UN reports and these reports or whatever talking about how bad it is. And Recently, I can't remember, I think it was 2020, there was there was like a whole outpouring of just rage. We had vigils in the streets when, you know, some, the last, at that point, two girls had been found dead, had been killed and whatever. And it just, everybody had just reached their limit with it after so many years and you had this outpouring into the streets. And But for me, that limit had been reached earlier, some years ago, and I put it all into this book. I really wanted to expose the threats that have become sort of norms. You know, the way women are treated and it's become like a norm. It's something people make memes and jokes out of. And that really, that really hurts me, you know? And um, I just wanted to put it out there because what I see at the heart of all of that is a certain amount of male fragility. Well, there are so many interesting characters in this collection. I was wondering who spoke to you first and loudest uh, when you were sitting down to write. <laughs> Actually, um, huh. I would say I have mem like some of the characters. I you know I don't remember how they came to be, but some of them the genesis of the character is, is very clear in my mind. And I would say um, Omar, the 17 year old boy, Miss Ivy. I think she really was the character that came to me first. And she is sort of the, the uh, maybe the linchpin, the thing that holds the whole collection, the character that sort of holds the whole collection together in my mind is Miss Miss Ivy. Those two characters mean a lot to me. And uh, I remember the way they came to be. So they're my favorite characters. Are there any particular characters that you think you might write about again? Or are you done with these characters? <laughs> you know, people often ask me that. But I feel like, you know, when you've spent quite a lot of time with some people, with people, and you're just kind of fed up of them and you're like, okay, I've overstayed my welcome. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> That's how I feel. I, I feel like I've done it. I've done. I I'm, I've moved on since. Uh, and yeah, I can't I can't see myself going back. But who knows? Never say never. 
Well, I can understand why you feel like that as a writer, but I know I would like to know more about Declan and Ruth. Right. I, I want to know what happened uh, more about them. Um, let's uh, switch gears now and talk about what you enjoy reading. Uh, do you have any books you find yourself returning to again and again? And um, I like to call these go-to books, uh, mm -hmm. just things that you, you've read them many, many times, and you know that you're probably going to read them uh, many more times in the future. Hmm. Interestingly enough, if I'm talking, I mean, I, I like to read, you know, the, the things that I like to read, I like Indian and African authors. I have my favorites. I do and have always liked the work of Juno Diaz. Jhumpa Lahiri, uh, Zadie Smith, Laurie Moore, uh, V.S. Naipaul. Um, but I feel like when you ask me about people I keep returning to, I always return to the work of V.S. Naipaul, simply because he is the seminal Trinidad um, and Tobago literary writer. I return to it to learn from it, you know, how, how to do certain things and also how to not do certain things, you know, how to evolve. I return to it as a reader because some of the stories of his stories I do enjoy. I also return quite a lot to poetry. I feel, I feel like poetry kind of, because sometimes, you know, writing can be very depleting. And you, but when I read poetry um, or when I'm looking for inspiration, I go back and I read certain books of poetry one of them is Derek Walcott's sort of epic poem called Omeros quite often when I'm looking for inspiration or when I just feel like I, I just need help creatively I read I read from that poem and it's so big that you could just you'll never finish um yeah and uh I have other books of poetry particularly there's one by uh, a local author called Shivani Ramlochan I love her work and I all I often return to it as well uh, you know so poetry is, is the thing that I return to a lot well now I'd like to ask you sort of about the flip side of that do you have any novel that comes to mind that it seems like everyone else loves or it's it's very much critically acclaimed um, mm -hmm. but for you it just never really did it <laughs> let me think there are books that i am just having a look back here um yes but i'm kind of afraid to say i'm looking at my my shelf and i'm kind of afraid to say um... I, i'm just gonna say <laughs> i understand we don't we definitely don't want to offend anyone here uh but yeah. maybe do you have one maybe the writer is no longer with us um right yeah we don't have to worry about their reaction um, well, I can tell you when I, when I, it's not a work of literary fiction, but there was a time when everybody was into this book, Bridges of Madison County. And I read it and I was like, wait, what? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I'm looking at a particular book on the shelf that I read recently, which is, um, Maurice Condé's The Wondrous Life. The Wondrous and Tragic Life of Ivan and Ivana. I wanted to love that book so much because of who the author is. And it really, I mean, the writing, in, you know, is exquisite. But, and I had seen so many people on Bookstagram and so talk about it. But at the end of the day, I was like, oh my God, no, I don't like it at all. So that is the most recent book I feel like I read and I was 
I was underwhelmed, but not because of the writing. The writing was superb. It's just that the story just didn't resonate for me. I feel like um, every book is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. After me, it's a bad book. It's just not, doesn't speak to you. Yes, exactly. Well, what are you reading right now? I actually, on my trip, I bought the book that recently won the Booker Prize, The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. It it just won the Booker Prize uh, last month by this uh, Sri Lankan author. And so I picked it up on my trip and I am very much looking forward to snuggling up and beginning to read it. Uh, because as I said, I do like authors from the subcontinent and from Africa, because I, I just feel like there is innately something in their stories that, that resonates deeply with me. And what about your writing? Are you already on something new? I am. I have, I don't want to say finish the first draft, but I'm very near to finish, finishing the first draft of my next manuscript, which at this point looks like it will be a collection of 10 very closely linked short stories. Um, I'm not sure if it will remain that way or if I will push it a little further into a novel, 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 instead of a novel in stories. But I'm very close to the end of that um, and hoping to finish it before the end of the year. Is there anything at all you can tell us about it? Yes, I can tell you that it was inspired a lot by these stories of, well, I, I am mixed race. Uh, my mother is of East, is East Indian. Um, and so I grew up in a very East Indian home among East Indian women. Um, and so it, it looks at the journey of the East Indian woman in Trinidad and the violence that has always been associated with her and perpetrated against her and how... She has evolved. And so the modern East Indian woman or woman of East Indian descent, like myself, uh, partly, um, how far we've come from, you know. So it's looking at one family through several generations of women. Well, that sounds interesting, Celeste. And I really can't wait to read that. Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you again so much for coming on Read More to talk about your work. I really enjoyed Pleasant View and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thank you so much, Marv. It was lovely to chat with you and thanks for your engaging questions. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com to find out how to win a free copy of Pleasant View. You can also help Celeste and the show by buying her book on our site. Please follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.